Hello everyone and welcome to the Grumpy Surfer podcast. I am the Grumpy Surfer and your host, Ads Lyson. Before we get started, if you want to get 20% off your Brawl Surf merchandise, go to brawlsurf.co.uk and input the discount code, capital letters, Grumpy Surfer to get 20% off your Brawl Surf gear. Also, if you go over to OmbiSurf, so OmbiSurf is a surfing program designed for intermediate surfers to advance their surfing through a series of uh, programs including the 12-week accelerated surf program which I'm still doing and has dramatically improved my surfing through lots of different things like cobbled surfer, boshu surfer etc. So if you go to ombeombe.co forward slash ref forward slash grumpy surfer go through the links to get 10% off any of the ombi packages and start your training program today so this week's podcast guest is a guy that i've been watching for a long time he creates his own jiu-jitsu and motivational videos on youtube and he's also a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt uh, owns his own academy over in canada and he's quite a creative and a very inspirational guy in himself from the uh, north of England. Well, he's north of me anyway. I had a really cool conversation with him. So please enjoy my conversation with Stuart Cooper of Stuart Cooper Films. Stuart Cooper, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Three questions before I even start. How are you? Where are you? And have you trained today? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada right now. I've been here for two years. And no, I haven't actually trained today. Um, I was going to, but I've just, I've got a busy day. I've got, I'm flying to Denver, Colorado tomorrow. So I've got a, yeah, I've got a clean house. I've got a cat sitter coming in to look after my cats. I've got to go to the airport to do an antigen test. Still need to pack my bags. There's a lot of things I've got to do. But I will be training tonight. I didn't know there was such thing as a cat sitter. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's cat sitters and dog sitters. But uh, it's actually a girl from uh, one, of, one of my students from my classes. And um, it turns out she actually does. It's kind of on the side, you know, just for friends and family. So I got my, I've got two rescue cats. I didn't realize how much hard work it would be. <laughs> You know, just going away traveling, you, you've got to get someone to look after him, you know, and sometimes it's difficult. From what I've realized over the years is I had a dog a few years ago and animals, especially felines and dogs, are more like children than children are and they require a lot of attention. And Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just... mine my, my do. Yeah, my cats are very friendly like dogs. And, uh, they might even jump up at me on, <laughs> during this podcast. <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, they need a lot of attention. I mean, I could get my neighbors just come in and feed them twice a day, but it's not the same. I need to want someone actually to like look after them, you know, and be with them. So how we first sort of started talking was back in February, and this is going to sound really bad on my behalf. And you put out a, a Marcelo Garcia um, edit. Yeah. And, uh, and I, did, I was a naughty boy, and I, uh, I copied it, and I put it into a post, and then you told me off, basically. <laughs> I was like that. Yeah, then... Actually, I remember that, but it happens all the time. Uh, even, um, it's just, I don't mind when people just, like, post, like, a clip of it, but it's when they post the full video. And uh, even Dave, I put out a Cron Gracie, Gary Toner video edit that I made, I think it was, like, a year ago. And Dana White, 
actually. It was awesome that Dana White saw it and liked it, but he ripped it off my YouTube channel and uploaded it on his own Instagram. And it got like a million views on his Instagram. But if he had actually shared the link and not ripped my video off, but that would have been like $17,000 in my account, which I didn't get. So because everyone watched it on his Instagram, but not mine, but still it's Uncle Dana. It's, you know, it's promotion. You know, I got a lot of followers and, you know, but yeah, these things happen all the time with Instagram. Do you know what? I was, I was actually absolutely devastated because I love your, I love your stuff. Obviously being a, a you know, doing jujitsu myself and, uh, and it's only since I've started doing this podcast where I've realized that money i didn't i don't understand the concept of monetizing because i i don't make any money out of this um I, right. I haven't done anything like that and to be honest with you uh because i've got like a three-way niche with like grappling the military and surfing as well it's not like focused at one thing so i'm trying to grasp at like three different things and, it, and it's quite difficult to get um listeners for that you've got people yeah. that do um, but you know, not everyone wants to listen to about surfing or listen about grappling or, you know, so they go to those other platforms. But when, when I've started to look into it, um, like, like you have, you know, you, you actually make money out of like all the edits and stuff that you do. We'll talk about that later as well, but you know, how were you finding all of that? Was it, was it something that you just kind of came into and you thought, you know, what? I can make a couple of quid out of this. Oh, honestly, I don't make that much money uh, out of doing these videos. Never really have. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there's a cat when we speak. Um, yeah, like when I first uh, started my YouTube channel, I used very popular music. Um, so I didn't actually monetize my YouTube channel. I didn't, I didn't really look into it. I didn't think you could actually make that much money on YouTube. Now I realize you can make a lot. Uh, some people making, you know, millions and millions of dollars, but you have to be getting the, the type, you know, millions and millions of views. Um, but over the years, I did make, um, you know, um, some money on the side, you know, with sponsors and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but last year, dur during the first lockdown, I actually went back and re-edited all uh, most of my content and swap the music um so now i've actually monetized my channel so it's been monetized for about a year and it does it brings in you know a, de a decent amount of money like com with my salary from jiu-jitsu uh, te uh teaching jiu-jitsu and my youtube channel you know it's um yeah like it's enough yeah it's good that you can do that in this day and age as well and yeah you know it's quite interesting you say that because um when you ask my daughter, my daughter's nine, she goes, you ask her, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you're older? And the first thing she says, she says she wants to be a gamer, and but she doesn't even play like games. She plays stuff on the phone, which I find really weird. Um, and then she says that she wants to be a YouTuber. And like, you know, back in the day, well, you know, I'm 40. So, you know, when I was her age, that didn't even exist. And it's really weird that, you know, if you're good at what you do and you've got some sort of character or charisma, you can actually make some money out of it. I mean, she watches, she, she used to um, watch like these families uh, over in America and they've got millions and millions of followers and they, yeah. and they send these families like all these toys and stuff to kind of review. And I'm like, this is, this is just something that's just opened up through people yeah. posting content. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, look at that Jake Paul. I mean, he's a and local but I don't know how they got so many followers, you know, because I'm, I'm not even sure. I actually don't know much about the background, but they're obviously 
you know, world famous and bringing in millions of dollars. I think they just did like a few, you know, funky videos and they were, they were kind of popular by doing that, but they were just into boxing anyway. And then I think they got to the point where they probably were messing around and just offered a couple of people out and they went, all right then. Yeah. 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 Yeah, if you've got something people are interested in, the problem with jiu-jitsu, it's not that mainstream yet. So it only gets hundreds of thousands of views. Um, but MMA is, you know, much more, um, you know, it has way more fans, you know. And uh, I, I do find that the MMA content, that some of those videos do get millions of views. I actually have a friend who's pulling in something like 20,000, 20 to 30,000 a month, US dollars on YouTube, you know, just with MMA content. So I just love, I love jujitsu, you know? So I do think about maybe switching over, making some MMA films, which I, I will actually, uh, I'll mix it up a little bit. Well, you've got a lot of guys now coming from the UC, uh, UFC and, and competing in jujitsu as well, haven't you? So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they've, they've come to like that, not, I guess not retirement age, but they're like, you know, they're in the late thirties, early forties, and they're coming over and do some grappling comps now, which is, which is kind of cool. And, and I guess when you see those, those higher level guys coming over that have got, a fan base behind them and people see you know them in these competitions that can only sort of like make it grow a little bit more right yeah yeah so um you're originally from england right so let's just yeah. talk a little bit about your background so where did you grow up and how did you get into the into grappling and 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 making films so i was um i was born well i was born in Bristol, but I was actually brought up in Preston in the northwest of England. Um, the accent. Yep, yep. I've definitely lost it a little bit. When I go back to, uh, you know, my hometown, <laughs> I sound very different to my friends because they all still live, you know, uh, back in Lancashire. And it's funny, they make fun of me, <laughs> make fun of my accent when I go back. Yeah, you've got like um, a little bit of a northern twang with a little bit of like canadianism and some americanism in there as yeah well, so it's a, a mongrel accent so I, look, <laughs> I, I moved away from england when i was 25 went to brazil then all over america thailand when i first went to america and i just had my thick northern accent people couldn't understand what i was saying i had to really slow it down so i think over the years unconsciously of like my accents changed just to so people you can understand me much more clearly but uh when i was um I got into grappling. I was at university in London and I, I got my degree. And then I got my, um, it was around this time I actually saw UFC on TV and that's when I started training. Uh, I started with uh, Muay Thai boxing and then I saw the MMA class and afterwards and I finally got the courage to go to some of the MMA classes. And uh, But it was the ground game that really fascinated me because um, that bronc kept taking me down, putting me arm bars, choke holds. And that, there was, it seemed way more effective than striking to me at the time. And I was like, I really want to, I don't know, it just seemed more fun to me as well. So I asked him, what is this ground stuff? Can I just do this, but separate? And like, yeah, this is jujitsu. So after um, I got my degree, I moved back up to the Northwest England and I had to move back into my parents for a while while I looked for a job. And this is when the recession hits. It was very hard to get a job at this time. And yeah, that's when I took up jujitsu pretty much full time uh, from day one. You know, just because I was looking, I didn't have anything else to do, you know, just looking for a job. And I had a few part-time jobs here and there, but I, I was never, I could never stick any of these jobs out. 
you know, like in customer service, I was working in macro, working in mountain warehouse, you know, selling ski jackets. I just went from job to job to job. I either got fired or I left just because I had no passion for that particular job. And then I got, did get a job down in London um, for like a media company, but it was like eight in the morning till six in the evening. And jiu-jitsu at Roger Grace Academy in London would start at 6.30 p.m. So I'd have to get on my bike and race to the academy, you know, to get there for 6.30. And I was like the highlight of my day, and I hated my job. I hated my life in London. I was getting paid, you know, I think £1,200 a month. And my rent was like £800 a month. So I was like, I was broke all the time. Like, is this, is this my life? Is this what this is going to be? And then... Um, I actually spoke to my professor and I was like, you know, I reckon, I reckon I could take up jujitsu um, as a living. He goes, yeah, you definitely could, but you've got to put in the work. You've got to like really commit yourself to it. So I ended up quitting my job in London, uh, which my parents were not happy with. And I moved back up to Northwest England again. And that's when, um, yeah, I started training full time, doing all the local tournaments. So I was winning a lot of the local tournaments you know, in the Northwest of England. And that's when I got, a, um, I dislocated my arm in a training session. So I was out for a year because uh, I couldn't train. But that's when I picked up a video camera just to, uh, you know, for something to do. And I started filming all my friends uh, training at the academy. I would go to the local tournaments and film them competing, make little highlight videos. And through that, I met a guy called Jason Tan, who is the, the founder of the MMA Academy in Liverpool. He was one of the promoters of some of the, grappling shows at that time and he actually approached me and said hey you do really nice videos have you thought about filming seminars i've got ryan hall coming over i had to do a seminar at my academy why don't you come and film it and then do an interview with him so i was like yeah why not sounds like a good idea so i did that put the video together put it on youtube and it got quite a few thousand views and then he put then put me in contact with gunnar nelson because gunnar nelson came over to do a seminar and then jeff monson I made, edited these videos together, put them online. People seem to like them. And then next thing you know, I'm getting put in contact with Braulio Estima. And Braulio Estima was preparing for ADCC 2011. And yeah, I started, that's when I made the first Road to ADCC series. I was very, I was inspired by the UFC countdown shows. And I thought to myself, no one's ever made like a kind of a countdown show for jiu-jitsu. So that's kind of what I did with uh, Braulio Estima. And then... Uh, because I was with Braulio, I, wasn't, I didn't actually have permission to film ADCC in 2011, but I just filmed it anyway. <laughs> and every time, like, you know, the security would come and check around, you know, like to see if people got their passes. And I just, you know, like, yeah, just make myself invisible, you know, just move on a little bit. <laughs> and then I actually put out the ADCC 2011 highlight. And the kind of rest is history. That was what really, that, that was the video that went viral. Over the years, I've I've watched a, you know a lot of your content because you you do you do a lot of um, like the highlight reels, but you do like a lot of uh, like other inspirational videos using you know yeah. dub overs from like John Danaher, Joe Rogan, um, Jocko, and, and a lot of those guys. And it's the thing that 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 strikes me from from what you do than what a lot of other people do is that you you find the relation in what people are saying to what the actual video footage is be behind it. And because right. the, vi because the video, because the videos match the, the audio as well, it relates with people. So if you're sticking with a, a specific, 
a specific sort of like um like niche i don't know say it's um passion yeah if it stays with that you know people can you, people can relate to that and what the other thing the key thing with these things really is is that yours are between 10 and 13 minutes long there are some longer ones but that's also you know that's just enough for somebody to sit down have a cup of tea and watch it on their computer but it's not so long where it's like a 30 or 40 minute like tv series where you know you have to m make time for it does that make sense yeah 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 absolutely yeah and what was was that the purpose behind the way that you were doing it or was it just kind of developing like that because that was the content you had yeah i just kind of developed into that and i started doing those i messed around with a few of those like you know, extracting the audio from podcast a few times, but I did, you know, I much prefer to make it my full content. You know, I actually do the interview myself and do the video. And, um, but during the lockdown, I've not been able to film anything. So I've got all this footage and um, yeah, just, I really enjoy, you know, editing uh, these little videos and I just love jujitsu. So, and I love listening to some of these podcasts and I listened, I listened to the John Danher one, for example, Lex Friedman. And it was just, I was listening to it and I just, I pick out bits and I'm like, ah, oh, this, this is really like, this is pretty cool. I think people could like learn from these little bits of audio here. So just take the best bits of audio from podcasts and yeah, like you said, match them up to the, the relevant footage and, you know, put it to some nice music and it's something I just really enjoy doing and people seem to like it. So how'd you find approaching people to do it? You know, cause you've got some big hitters on there that, you know, you talked about Brolio, you've got, Andre Galvao, you've had some big names like uh, Marcelo yeah. Garcia. How do you go about approaching those people and saying, you know, do you want to sit down and do an interview for them? I just, just reach out to them, just message them on Instagram or Facebook, I think, because I was like the, one of the first people to do make these videos back in 2011. There's no one really making short films on the high level jiu-jitsu athletes at that time. You had Budo videos doing the live stream. You had no one doing these little short uh, film documentary style videos um showing the life of these athletes and you know the personalities so at first uh, getting in contact with Braulio and um people like that it was easy because i don't think there was anyone else actually approaching them at the time but now jiu-jitsu's got quite big and there's like flow grab and stuff because i've been doing it so long a lot of the athletes recognize my name they've probably seen my videos so i find it's actually quite easy when i reach out to some of these athletes the they've already seen my work and they're happy to do it so when you go to, I take it you you go along to the ADCC comps and the PANs and and what did you just sort of like, are you invited there to do it now or do you just kind of integrate yourself into um, it as a spectator and just ask the guys and film it as and when? Back in, uh, quite a few years ago, I just show up, like no permission. I showed up to ADCC 2011, no permission, 2013, no permission and I almost pretty much got thrown out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I remember seeing something like that, like you were hiding behind like the background or something like that. Uh, and then... No, I was actually, I was filming the whole weekend and I was pretending, they were saying no filming. And I was like, no, I'm just taking photographs. I didn't have a pass or anything, but there was no, at ADCC 2013 in China, there was, no, it, it wasn't like today. There was like no audience, a little bit of security, some, you know, uh, the live stream crew, some photographers. So it was like, you know, it was quite easy to like kind of sneak in, uh, but it was the last match, the absolute final cyborg versus Bouchesha. It must've been the owner, the, the guy that the promoter of the venue, I'm not sure who he was. Uh, he saw that I was filming 
And right in the middle of the match, he starts screaming, you film, you film. And he grabs my camera. And next thing you know, I've got like security coming over and I'm getting in an argument with him. I'm trying to wrestling with him, trying to get my camera back. And then Dean Lister actually comes in to save the day. And uh, I had to quickly like get my flashcards and like hide them, you know, in my pockets. And, uh, you know, uh, it was actually Dean Lister that kind of de-escalated the situation and said, no, no, he's just taking photographs. What are you talking about? <laughs> but it turns out the people that were filming the live stream fucked up the live stream and lost a lot of the matches. There's a lot of lost matches. They came back to me like six months later going, hey, like, <laughs> can you hook us up with some footage? I'm like, what? You're the guys that tried to stop me from filming. <laughs> but uh, 2015, I showed up, but it was actually uh, Budo Videos gave me permission. I showed up and all they said, they said, just don't put anything out for six weeks if you can. Don't put the highlight out for six weeks. 2017, um, I can't remember why I didn't go to that one. I was in Singapore at the time teaching. Um, I just didn't make it out there. And this is when Flow Grappling came in. 2019, I did actually have permission uh, to film um, and do the highlight. But I'm not sure what's going to happen with 2022. We'll see. Uh, Flow Grappling is so big now that, yeah, I don't know, you know. It's, uh, it's kind of, the, that's kind of what happens, isn't it? It's like a sport's going to grow. Like I was like just a small time videographer and then this big, huge media company comes in and just kind of, you know, overtake everything. But yeah, this is what it is. I'm surprised people haven't been offering you jobs because you've got a unique angle and an aspect into into making your, your edits and your videos, you know, obviously relate to people as well. So I'm surprised that people haven't reached out to you. Yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure why. I mean, it's just, I mean, people have, but it's, there's not much money, you know. So Third Coast Grappling, they wanted me to do some filming that, um, with them uh, before COVID. And it's just, you know, there's not that much money in the sport. For me to travel halfway across the world and film an event and make some, do some edits, it's really got to be worth my while, like financially. Because a lot of the time I was losing money over the years or just breaking even. I, like most of the years I was traveling, I was just breaking even, but I was happy to do that because it, you know, I was getting my flights paid for and I was on the road, you know, I was like, I was getting, it was almost like a trade, you know, I make these videos and stuff in return. I get to travel the world for free and get hotels, uh, you know, Airbnbs and the flights, you know, I never made that much money, but it was an amazing experience, you know, you mentioned that you, you're doing a lot of coaching now. So yeah, you're a first degree black belt. Is that right? Um, it's funny. I mean, I should technically be a second, oh. uh, but I haven't even been given my first because I've been a black belt for six years now. Okay. Um, and you're supposed to get a degree every three years, I believe. But my, yeah. I've not seen my professor. So yeah, I really oh. don't know how it works. So when I go back to England, hopefully this December for Christmas to see my family, um, yeah, I'll uh, ask him about it. You know, I'm really not sure how it works. Going back a little bit from talking about getting to your black belt, you know, what were the gyms and the gym that you um, are affiliated or, you know, you, you, you are a part of them? You know, what was your progression coming up? Um, so I, when I first started, it was a small little gym called Semtex in some really rough rundown part of London. Uh, that's where I was doing the MMA and the Muay Thai sessions. And then they said, they recommended I go to London Fight Factory if I just want to do jiu-jitsu. So I went to London Fight Factory. Uh, that's where I got my, uh, they sold me my first key. And I think they ripped me off from what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and I was there for like a month. 
And then I moved back up to uh, Northwest England and uh, joined up at Gracie Bar at the time. I was very fortunate that um, just when I moved back up to Preston, I had Lucio Sergio de Santos and Legato Rodriguez had just, you know, uh, relocated to uh, England and Preston of all places. So I had like two world-class black belts teaching me from right from the beginning. Um, and then over the year, Legato ended up moving down to Roger Grace Academy. And I think after a few years when I was around Purple Belt, they actually, my professor Lucio decided to not be with Gracie Bar anymore. He, went, he created his own, uh, he did his own thing, which is a Lucio Sergio BJJ lifestyle. So he has academies in Southport and Manchester now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've, I've been a little bit of a, a kind of journeyman within a, 70 to 80 mile radius of where I live because I'm still in the military. Um, my terminal, my terminal leave after when I come out after 22 years is uh, the middle of January. So I've been bouncing around clubs between uh, Plymouth, um, Exmouth or Exeter where I live and uh, and North Devon because uh, there's a there's a place that my friend opened up um, that's literally I was training there not you know an hour ago. Um, and, I, and I'm still under Kenny Baker, who's down in Plymouth under Flow Martial Arts. And it, it, I don't know, it, it's quite it's quite difficult, but I'm kind of, am I moaning? I, I don't think I am. I'm moaning a little bit. <laughs> well, we're, in, we're English, we <laughs> yeah, always moan. We live, we we live a good trip, don't we? <laughs> we do, we do. It's so culture. it's like bouncing between <laughs> three different places and... I know it's diffi- it, it, It's easy for people to say, well, you know, you're really lucky because you've got lots of places to train, but I've had these three places to train in now and I'm going to have to go back to where I originally started, I think, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure yet. I haven't really made a decision because, you know, an hour's drive for me, um, I don't know, it, it's, quite, it's quite significant, but I'm talking to somebody yeah. that lives in Canada and the distances to travel there is much significance like australia and you know the, those distances they're yeah. crazy it's really crazy i'm actually um doing a super fight in nova scotia canada in uh, january 22nd okay. and um i just you know assumed oh canada you know it's only gonna be like a two-hour flight holy shit it's like a nine-hour no. flight <laughs> It's like crooked to get to back to England. Yeah. <laughs> but I think with him, we yeah. flew to New York for um, the Masvidal and Diaz fight, and that was only like seven and a half hours or something like that. Yeah, it's actually it's much like San Diego. I'm flying to Denver tomorrow. That's like two and a half hours. It's not far. San Diego, get there in three hours. You know, Seattle's an hour. So. <laughs> Have you found with your filmography and now being a black belt that that's helped you out significantly with, you know, you obviously travel around to to, to coach and do seminars. Does that help you a lot? Um, so what, the, the, the filming? Yeah, so with, with the filming side of it, you've got your name on, on your edits and you know that oh, they're yes. quite, well, they're obviously really well known within the jiu-jitsu community now. So when you go traveling around the world and... You, you obviously bounce in and out of different academies to do little seminars and, and things like that. Has that helped you with you? It really has. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just helped, it's helped get my name out there, you know, cause I put my, I've got my watermark on all my videos and I always put a film by Stuart Cooper. So and my videos have got like my YouTube channels, something like 25 million views, something like that, maybe just less. So it's a great way to, you know, um, yeah, get my name out there. Uh, but it's taken um, 
people like associate me with just the videos and it's taken a while for people to realize that I actually like compete, you know, and teach as well. So yeah, I'm, I'm that's why I'm getting back into competition now because I'm 36, I've got a few years left and um, before like I start getting more injuries. So yeah, just want to go out there, compete and like show, you know, what I've been working on. Have you got your own academy in Vancouver? Yeah, so I'm part of uh, Diaz Combat Sports and that, uh, in fact, that's Chinatown in Vancouver. So it's a huge world-class facility. It's like three floors. Um, and I'm on the third floor. So it's like Street Cooper Jiu-Jitsu, but it's on uh, the third floor, like within Diaz Combat Sports. Oh, nice. So yeah. when, you're, uh, when, you're, when you're there and you're training, um, you've obviously got access to a lot of these, these high-level guys. Um, who do you... Who do you look to the most for, for inspiration? So, like, who are your favorite grapplers that you kind of feed off? Um, my, like, my favorite ones to watch. I love watching, um, you know, Gordon Ryan, you know, like, because he really is, like, he's the best, you know, because he's definitely does. He just looks so calm. He's just, like, step by step, you know, um, you know, when he's playing guard, when he's guard passing. It's just the way he shuts down these world-class grapplers and you know i'm like watching and I'm like yeah like i know what i know this sweeper i know this guard pass but why is he getting it to work so well so i really like play it back play it back and there's little details there that he's doing that i'm just missing you know have you ever been down to um john Danaher's place at, uh, at henzo's and and had uh, had some instruction with no them? i haven't no i never had the opportunity unfortunately is it, is yeah, I, I really intended to. There's so many places. I will uh, go to eventually. I will go to the B team uh, in Austin, Texas, you know, uh, probably next year. And I'll probably go to John Danaher's as well, which is new wave jiu-jitsu. I've talked about this a few times on, on other podcasts, but I always find that the people that you have a, a good rapport with um, are sometimes the guys that make really difficult techniques or something that's a quite technical aspect like maybe maybe an open guard pass or something like that and they break those details right down to the finites so even the the even the lowest white belt who's just started can understand the concept behind doing it and i think if you can find coaches like that that's only ever going to bring your uh, your game on the most i mean have you found that training around the world um yeah yeah my, i had a great professor uh, but i left him when i was purple but I, mean, I didn't leave him still under him but when i was purple belt you know i was like traveling around the world so i didn't really get to learn too much off him you know um yeah like my brown and black belt was my jiu-jitsu from all around the world it's from from this guy this guy this guy and a lot of online stuff but uh, i uh, what i've done what i never used to do but i do a lot now is watch instructionals and I find that uh, I love the John, it's not for everybody. Some people can't find him very long-winded, the John Danaher instructionals, but I love the details he goes into. I like the fact that he speaks really slowly and calmly and draws it out because I know I, I enjoy it. The Gordon Ryan instructionals are great, the Lachlan Giles ones. And I just watched the, uh, the, high, the best matches, you know, um, what the best guys are doing, you know, like Gordon Ryan, Craig Jones, Lucas Barboza, I want to see Yuri Simos. I want to see what they're doing because they're getting these techniques to work on world-class opponents. So, um, yeah, like that's, I find like my jiu-jitsu has actually got better in the last three years than the previous nine. 
you know, just from, I've got more, my body understands jujitsu now. I've already developed my game. Um, there's just like a new way of learning, you know, John Dan has really broken down into like these subsystems, like this overall system and the subsystem. So I'm taking my time learning each one of the subsystems, like the, the Kimura system, the leg lock system, the back attack system. So yeah, yeah, I've just been pretty much almost self-taught, um, you know, over the last three or four years. Well, I wouldn't say self-taught, but learning online and from watching matches. Who do you find are the best people to film that um, that that have got that sort of like cinema, cinematic, like um, star persona? Do you know what I'm trying to say? So, you know, the guys that... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Braulio was great. I loved filming Braulio Steamer. He's such a character. He's very comfortable on camera. Um, yeah, he's he was ahead of his time, I believe. You know, if it wasn't for his neck, I think he'd still be on top. You know, he was so technical, but he really like fought outside of the box. Um, so yeah, he was he was always he was always good to film with. Um, who else? Um, I, I liked filming with Marcelo because he was just such, you know, he's quite shy. You know, he's just like a, an everyday type of guy. You know, he's not very loud, but he's. Uh, yeah, he's like incredibly interesting, had a lot of interesting things to say. And he's one of my favorite grapplers ever. Um, yeah, like um, I had some good uh, times filming of Cyborg Brew, but I know there's a lot of controversy surrounding him right now. I've not looked into it too much. You know, I'm trying to like, try to stay out of all that stuff online. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. One, of, one of the things I was actually talking about it tonight actually is, uh, is Jiu Jitsu politics is... Uh, Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of it. <laughs> Crazy, and it's now it's getting more popular. Yeah, it's just going to get worse. I think. Well, you know, I've never, I've never really been into the competition scene, and, and my, uh, my daughter's um, been training now for three or four years, and I've, she started entering a couple of competitions. Now um, they've started happening again back here in the UK, and uh, I've always been aware of. Um, you know, sideline coaching and people screaming and, and, and getting passionate with it, but more so uh, with kids as well. And especially the, the, the tie knits with the, with, with your clubs as well, you know, the people getting behind them and like, it's almost like virgin football hooliganism. That, that That's how bad it is. I can't yeah. imagine what it's like at some of these super high level places. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. But even in the, even in the media, there's a lot of politics with like, you know, filming of the media, you know, like the ADCC and the flow graph and all that stuff. I experienced that a couple of years ago. <laughs> I won't go into too much detail. <laughs> do, do you not find that sometimes it's kind of, it, it's a good and a bad thing as well, because if there's no sort of characters or any, any sort of story behind any of these sort of like political dramas, then none of it's ever going to be in the media. But then if it's not going to be in the media, then you're not going to see any promotion behind it. You know, you've got, I use Gordon Ryan as the example, you know, because. Yeah, he's so controversial, yeah, isn't but, he? Yeah, but like. He's, he's like a um, an MMA version of Conor McGregor, just shit talking, shit talking, yep. shit talking. But they're doing it in such yeah. a constructive way. And you can kind of see what it is. It's building the fights up. But yeah. you're also having that love-hate relationship with somebody too. 
Yeah, yeah, like he does. He does do a great job of bringing attention and, you know, like a lot of it, I get like, he's, it's got quite, it's very clever the way he's like, <laughs> the whole thing with Galvao where he slapped him like twice. So he's not, that's now gonna, everyone's so excited for that super fight, you know, Galvao versus Gordon Ryan. But yeah, he does talk a lot of shit online as well. Where some of his stuff is like, dude, just shut up. <laughs> but some of it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've been lo looking at sort of the uh, some of the matches, especially that that one now that's been um, confirmed the super fight for the ADCC next year. Yeah, that'd be um, a good one. What are your thoughts on some of the matches that are um, that have been sort of semi scheduled for next year? Do you think Do you think it's going to be? They all say this year is going to be the best year ever. But it's the same with any of them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be, uh, because there's always some the, the next guy, isn't there? Um, but yeah, like, I'm really excited for that, Galval versus Gordon Ryan. I think if <laughs> anyone can beat Gordon Ryan, it's Galval in the ADCC rule set. But I think by 2022, he might be 42 or something. Um but he really understands that rule set and he's got wrestling on his side. And I think he's got better wrestling than Gordon Ryan, but Gordon Ryan's shown that he can just, he just has this ability to just, you know, I think it's to how hard work he puts in, but I've seen the hard work. Gal I was there for Galvao's ADCC 2019 training camp and this guy pushes himself. Like it's, it's pretty ridiculous what he puts himself through, you know? Um, I've heard stories like from Josh Young and Lucas Barboa is that some of the training sessions he pushes himself so hard that they had to grab his hands and his legs because he just his full body went into muscle cramps. So they had to grab him and stretch him out. You know, so he just, yeah, it becomes a, like the three months leading up to ADCC, he just becomes a man possessed. And he brings a certain like aggression and physicality and understanding of the rule set. I mean, I think technically Gordon Ryan's better. Um, but I, I would probably lean towards Gordon, but you know. Um, I think everyone uh, is leaning towards Gordon for that one. Uh, I'm not aware of some of the other matches that are happening um, that have been announced. One that I want to see is uh, Lucas Barboza versus Craig Jones. That would be a good one. I'm interested in that because Lucas Barboza is on a roll right now. I think he's better suited to 88 kilograms as well. Because he's not that big of a guy. I'm, I'm, I'm one of these guys that, like I said to you before, before we started the podcast, because I, you know what, I'm interested in surfing, so I've, I know all the guys, you know, a few of the guys there, and there's lots of content and stuff over there. I think there's just so many names out there that um, that you can talk about, you know. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to be a little bit ignorant with this because I, I don't, I, you know, I, I know all the names that you've just, you know, you've stated out, but I couldn't say what he's in this weight category or, you know. I just right. enjoyed turning it on, signing up to Flow Grappling and going, boom, there it is. And just, you know, just watching the whole, the whole event roll out because then you, it's yeah. like, um, I don't know, it's like if you've never watched Rugby League before and you just switch it on and then you start learning the names as you're going along. But then the year after when yeah. the team changes, you're doing it all again, right? Yeah, I love uh, UK are doing a good job with these uh, grappling events as well. I love like Grapple Fest, what they're doing. They're getting some big names on there. Polaris as well. I really want to com compete in that Polaris show. I'll get on there. I went and point. watched. Uh, I went I and watched one of the first ones down there, down in Pool. Like what, it must have been about seven or eight years ago now. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's such a cool atmosphere. I love watching the Polaris, and I think because it's a, you know yeah. a UK based one as well. Um, yeah, it's my favorite grappling event. I think it's the best. I like their rule set as well. 
I actually don't like, I enjoy watching the EBI and Submission Underground, but I don't like, if I was to, I wouldn't like competing in that rule set. You know, where if there's no submission in the first five, 10 minutes, you go to overtime and then someone starts in your back or someone starts in the spider web, you know, the arm yeah. lock position. Because it's not really the best guy that wins because you get people, you'll always get people playing to the rules. You know, people could stall out for the first five minutes or 10 minutes, however long the regulation is. But they're really good at escaping the back or they're really good in the spider web position and they beat you at two. They could get completely dominated in the regulation. And then in the overtime, they have a faster escape time or they're really good at finishing in the spider web position. Yeah, I think so, it's... Uh, it's still with, with that type of competition, it's quite easy to kind of stall out a little bit if you know the other guy is going to be quite dominant over you. Um, what What yeah, are your thoughts yeah. on like the combat jiu-jitsu? Do you watch much of that? Uh, yeah, actually, Eddie Bravo invited me on it in 2019. I actually like bumped into him at ADCC. And um, I just saw Eddie. Eddie's like, hey, it's true. How's it going? I'm like, good, good. He goes, hey, what would what, you weigh right now? I'm like, I know 195. He goes, you want to compete combat jiu-jitsu 185? I'm like, when is it? It's like November. And we were in September. And I'm like, man, I literally just had knee surgery like four months ago. And he goes, what do you have done with meniscus? He goes, ah, oh, you'll be fine. I'll put your name down. I'm like, no, no, it wasn't meniscus. It wasn't scoped. It was meniscus repair. And that takes a lot longer to, to come back from. And he's like, well, like, go back to Vancouver train and like, you know, get back to me. I'll pencil you in for now. I went back to Vancouver. I tried to do a little bit of rolling. My knee just swelled up. You know, I wasn't I wasn't rolling until uh, January, uh, the following oh, wow. year. So, um, and they said, I said, please think of me for the next one. And the next one in my weight division just went actually. But by by the time it came around, I wasn't actually interested in it anymore. You know, I I, I, I like jujitsu. I'm not really there to slap someone. You know, yeah, but... <laughs> I suppose it would have been fun. But my friend did it. One of my training partners. Um, here in Vancouver, Ben Dyson, he was invited on it. And that was another reason I didn't really want to ask to go on it as well. Like, cause there's a chance me and Ben could have got matched up and Ben's a friend. I do not want to slap him in the face. <laughs> so uh, he went along and uh, yeah, he did great actually. He, um, I think he got two submissions. He got to the semi-final and yeah, he did, he had a good performance. You can take some right little beatings there though, because it's- Oh yeah, Ben put it on the guy in the semi-final. He was, slapping this guy hard it's not and, uh, it's not really slapping it though is it it's like it's like open hand it's, palm oh, yeah. strikes <laughs> yeah yeah oh there's a few there was, i think there was two tkos on that show so yeah it's like you can really you can really do some damage wagner rosha has got a couple tkos on that show i don't know I, I i'm not really sold on it that much i don't think at the moment yeah, no, he's uh, bringing he's bringing EBI back though. He's actually bringing the original one back. So yeah, I mean that. Ha I think that that's hasn't better. been run for quite a few years now. It must have been about five or six years. No, because I remember asking him about it because I reached out to Eddie and said, "Hey, like, can I get on EBI?" And he goes, "Combat Jiu-Jitsu is EBI now." I'm like, "Oh, right, really?" So and he goes, "Yeah, if you want to do EBI, it's it's with slaps." I'm like, "Oh, okay." Uh, but then I don't know who it was. I think it was one of his black belts, Michael Plaster. He's one of his videographers. He told me recently they're bringing EBI back. Oh, right, nice. Yeah. So yeah, good really to good to hear. And it's just another competition that you can get your lips around as yeah. well, right? Yeah. That's what I love about jiu-jitsu now, especially the no-gi scene, is you don't have to go to the no-gi worlds and pay IBJJF x amount of money you know for a registration fee a yearly ibgf card there's so many hidden costs and you can go all the way to ibgf and 
lose a controversial ref decision in your first match and you've just spent, spent thousands of dollars flying across the world, you know, to lose a ref decision or lose by um, a negative. And there's all these different rule sets, you know. Look at Craig Jones. He always ma- he makes fun of himself. He's never actually won a gold medal. You know, he's done the Nogi Worlds and I think he medaled on his purple belt, but he's made a career just off super fights, you know, just doing grapple fest, Polaris, you know, EBI, uh, who's number one? He just does like one matches. He's done a few tournaments as well, like side grappling. Uh, but what he's done, even though he's not, become a world champion he's beaten many many world champions so you don't have to go to the worlds and do you know do the IBJF tournaments anymore there's a lot of other options and lots of rule sets as well and especially he's got a really good clothing range as well with those leopard print shorts that he wears all the time yeah 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 he's got a, he's got a funny he's got a good sense of humor uh Craig Jones I love the little uh back and forth he has with Gabby Garcia <laughs> it's clearly for fun I don't know that'd be a good super fight yeah, I think I think Craig takes that pretty easy. <laughs> she is she's a huge. I actually saw her. At, um, I met her a bunch of times. I can't believe it. She's she's a she's a big big woman. She's tall, very. Broad. Some, of, some of the best uh, like older women fights that I used to like watching were the Mackenzie Dern and uh, the Gabby Garcia ones. They were yeah yeah they, yeah. They, they were epic fights. They were. They were, weren't they? Yeah. How do you find uh, jiu-jitsu with sort of like mindset and um, and sort of like for, for mental therapy? Because, you know, here, here in the UK, we've got a few charities like uh, like Reorg, um, a guy I know set all that yeah. up. Um, all in aid of sort of like veterans and, you know, ex, uh, ex sort of like blue light guys um, for sort of therapy. I mean, how, how do you find it? Do, do you reckon that if you'd if you stop training that you you may have some issues with it sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) it's the other one um yeah i think a lot of it gives people like a like a purpose and meaning like a lot of people they go to work and stuff and they might not enjoy the job but the highlight of the day is going to jiu-jitsu afterwards it's like it's not just training and it's just so much uh so many benefits because it's very social you know you go in you go into jiu-jitsu and it's almost like your own little social club. Everyone's friends, we're all there, uh, learning together. You know, it's, um, you know, during the lockdown, this was taken away from a lot of people, you know, and I think a lot of, a lot of mental health has been, you know, uh, kind of ignored with these lockdowns, I think. You know, they've been so focused on, you know, COVID. But, um, yeah, I think um, jiu-jitsu is, is great, you know, for, uh, yeah, for people with anxiety, depression, you know, it's uh, it definitely helped me a lot. When I first started jujitsu, I was uh, quite a quite introverted actually. I had no, you know, self esteem, no no confidence at all. My first day at jujitsu, um, I could you know I w- I couldn't really look people in the eye. I just stayed to myself in the corner. I was really like you know just an- I was a very anxious person. I had like, a lot of social anxiety, and through jujitsu, that really it made me comfortable around people. Having to you know you know, be so close with people and interact with them, discuss the techniques, drill together. But you go from one partner to another partner. So you're talking to this person, this person. And just over the years, I just started to develop a lot more self-confidence and also developing skills as well. You know, I started to get more confident, you know, um, uh, just in other situations, you know, if like someone was to approach me in in an aggressive way, you know, I'm just much more calm because I know, 
you know, I know I can handle myself. I think that is quite quite a key thing as well. Is it's definitely the comfort the confidence piece in it. I've found over the years that uh, I've used surfing and I've used jujitsu as as like you say as the as an escapism of not going home and cracking a can open or boozing just to kind of yeah. like bide the time away or like to let yourself go to sleep. To be honest with you, yeah. like the age I am now, I'm not saying I'm old at all, but just the thought of having a drink just to go to sleep it doesn't even come into my mind at all um yeah. and like you say just having yeah. that not escapism because i don't really need to escape from anything i don't think at the moment but it's just you're keeping yourself physically active it's an addictive sport as well because there is no real right and wrong way to do things it's all to do with your body mechanics and how the way that you move and yeah. you interpret things as well and likewise with surfing yeah. as well, you know, it, it, it's a very similar thing yeah. because it's the way that you move and the way that you read things as well. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a pretty incredible sport, you know. Uh, and you could, be having a, you could be having a bad day for whatever reason and you could go home and drink a beer, you know, to like kind of like cool down and, you know, the beer, the alcohol hits those GABA receptors which comes out. Oh, you could go jiu-jitsu, you know, and releases way more endorphins you're doing something that's like very healthy and beneficial to world too well not all the time you get a lot of injuries with it but also i think it releases a lot of oxytocin as well uh doing jiu-jitsu i mean so, I, I was i was kind of like a similar frame of mind today i was a little bit lethargic i've i've trained quite a bit this week even though it's you know what wednesday and i was kind of i don't i was just lying down i was going i don't really want to go but i went and you know, I, I just took yeah. it a little bit easy, but I went and the trained and did a bit of sparring and stuff. And I think that's, you know, what's kind of good about it as well is that even when you're having a, a bad day or you don't physically feel like you're up to it, even if you pull yourself to it, even if it's just to go and see it, you know, a few of your mates that you train with as well, um, it has a really positive effect on, on your mentality too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, even like now I'm teaching, you know, like some days like uh, it happens all the time. Like I might be a bit, a bit frustrated with something like uh, I think it was last week. Actually, my computer just I was editing my new video and my computer just kept like crashing again and again. I was just, like ready to just punch the computer screen, <laughs> just break my laptop. And I just went up, turn up to jujitsu and just everyone's there and everyone's like having a good time. I was talking and like just all that just went away you know it's like nothing happened you know like you said yeah there's days where you just don't want to go oh, i'm just a bit tired today but you're always glad that you did go afterwards that's true you know, i think it's just it's just waking your body up getting the blood pumping around your body yeah it could be anything it doesn't have to just be jiu-jitsu it could be you know going to badminton you know i think it's very important for people to have like some kind of like group you know, of people where you all have a similar interest, you know, here in Vancouver, you get people getting together on those. I'm not sure what you call these like tricycle wheels, you know, like they're electric, you stand on them and like, you have like the electric scooters that you stand on and you also have the one oh, wheel. Right, okay. I'm not sure um, what they're called. It's like a, like a Segway sort of thing. Yeah, you stand on it and you just start, like you see them on like the bike pathway, they're very popular in Vancouver. And you get like groups of people getting together in the evening after work. And I'm on my bike and I just see like 15 people go past and these like 
electric wheels, you know, they've got like fluorescent lights going around, just zooming past me, they have like helmets on and it looks so much fun. One of my students actually does it. And I think, I'm not sure how old he is. He's probably like, maybe like 50 or something, but he was telling me he loves it. He just feels like a kid again. Well, until you fall off in front of a group of people and they're all laughing at you. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got misery written all over it, that has. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Mate, we've we've talked a lot yeah. about jiu-jitsu and uh, over sort of the last past 45 minutes. You know, what, what are the interests do you have? What other passions do you have going on at the moment? Um, I love uh, hiking, you know, I just, I love being outdoors. I'm not really an indoor type of person. You know, I, I don't, I can only stay indoors for a few hours before I get antsy and fidgety. Uh, so I love like going and uh, just being out in nature, you know, just hanging out with friends. In the, Vancouver in the summer is awesome. It's, it's great weather. It's perfect. It's not too, it's not too hot like Thailand and Singapore. And like, you just get together with friends on the beach in the evening and sit around and sit around a little campfire on the beach and have some beers or, you know, take some microdose of mushrooms or smoke some shisha. <laughs> uh, just having a good time, you know, just going for hikes, you know, in Squamish, like British Columbia is amazing, you know, for that kind of thing, uh, like camping and hiking. So I, lo I just love doing stuff like that. But yeah, so, uh, I love, um, I do like, I like to run as well, you know, uh, a couple of times a week, not so much in the winter because it rains so much. Yeah, I still really into my weightlifting as well. Always have been, yeah, and my jujitsu. Yeah, so have you ever done any uh, yeah, like movement yeah. classes or anything like that? To... I'm gonna I'm gonna start actually. My gym Diaz Combat Sports. We're opening up a second location um, across the road of where we already are, and it's gonna be a straight yoga facility. Uh, we're gonna have hot yoga, normal so the normal yoga, but there's many types of yoga. We're gonna have hot yoga, maybe Pilates as well. And possibly some movement classes as well, but I'm 36 and just sitting here right now, I'm trying to keep my back straight against the wall. I'm feeling, you know, stiff. You know, I don't feel like when I was like 26. It's amazing. Because when I turned 34, all of a sudden, the last two years I've noticed that I need a lot of like, I need, it's, it's actually a prescription for me. I need one massage a week, at least one physio and one acupuncture just to maintain, you know. So um, I'm going to, I'm moving away from like weightlifting because it's not making my body feel like i'll do squats and deadlifts but uh, it's just making that and jiu-jitsu and my body's just getting tighter and tighter and uh, I'm, i need to be i feel now i'm going to start getting more into the yoga because i want longevity you know i don't want to I, i've there's some people I've, I've done privates with over the years and they're in the like the 50s and they didn't really look after themselves they like went hard with jiu-jitsu and lifting weights and the bodies are beaten up now. Like I'll be showing them an arm trying and just crawling their arm up to here and then they tap just because the shoulders are so stiff. It's like, I do not want to be like that. So I'm really working a lot on flexibility right now. So, you know, because I want to be able to do this. I know I'm not going to be able to roll hard, you know, forever, but I want to be able to be able to like, you know, roll, you know, up until like, yeah, quite a, quite a late age, you know. I used to do a lot of strength training, a lot of weightlifting, you know, compound exercises and doing that with jujitsu is... I can't do it anymore. I just feel like I've been run over every single day. So yeah. over the lockdown, I started watching a lot of YouTube yoga videos. I took a few exercises out of that and made my own flows with it, which which helped um, a lot because I suffer with a lower yeah. back issues um, quite a bit. Uh, 
Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's okay. mid back. It's my mid back. Yeah, yeah. My low back seems good so far. I've got neck issues, uh, which has got better over the years. Um, but my biggest problem is my elbows. I've got arthritis in my elbows. Like so, after every training session, my elbows are on fire. So I'm going. I'm going to sell this now. So, I, like I mentioned before at the start, I'm leaving the military, and I've uh, I've become a a um, a qualified uh, Bowen technique therapist. And uh, I've I've just opened a clinic where where I live, and my mum's been doing it for for twenty odd years. And you know what it's like when when a parent or a significant other that's close to you tries to tell you or or help you with something. You're like that, <laughs> yeah, cheers. But um, yeah, she she yeah. really helped me, and she introduced me to Bowen, and I did the first couple of modules and saw significant results out of it. So Bowen's a really light, um, non-invasive therapy that you do like little rolling moves around the body and it and it's great for things like tennis elbow. I'll have to look into this. If you look for a Bowen therapist around your area, look for people that do like the original Bowen technique. So what, what makes it significantly different is between each series of moves, there are breaks in between it, which engages your brain's neural pathways to, for each of the areas that have just been had these rolling moves done over it to help recovery because the idea of it is to unwind the tension in your muscles for then your body to right. recover from it um, because it's never going to recover when you when your body's super tense i love it otherwise i wouldn't do it for a business so yeah look into it yeah definitely yeah anything that's uh, going to make my body feel Nice and loose again, you know, every morning I get, I have to stretch in the morning now, you know, do the downward dog, the upward dog. There's a few set stretches that I do, you know, because everything in jiu-jitsu is just pulling forwards. So I find it brings your shoulders forwards. It can give you like a curved back. So it's trying to do everything that pulls it back again, you know? Yeah, cool. Yeah, the massage therapist that I go and see, I go and see her like uh, every week. She's always so dramatic. I was saying, you need to stop doing what you're doing and your body's getting worse. That's like in a Ukrainian accent. I'm like, I can't, this is what I do, you know, I love it. Yeah. It's like <laughs> should should be over more dramatic than she is, and she's like, if I stop, it's like telling me to stop breathing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she's encouraging me to take up yoga and uh, do more like Thai massages. But she's right, I know what she's saying. But... Mate, we've been going for an hour now, so I've got a few questions that I put out to the local community around here, jiu-jitsu community. So excuse some of these because some of them are a bit you'll see what i mean in a minute so uh okay. the first one's from uh al gayson and he asks what is your favorite pizza topping Ooh, my favorite pizza topping i like the the capricosa so that's like um what's it called there's got like olives like sun-dried tomatoes on there artichoke mushrooms like those kind of pizzas uh, definitely not ham and pineapple <laughs> what you don't like a hawaiian I actually do like a Hawaiian, but my girlfriend never allows me to order one. She's like very traditional, like, you know, Italians, you get offended by ham and pineapple, but it tastes it's good, amazing. It? It's such a good combination, yeah. tomato, cheese yeah. and pineapple. Maybe who doesn't like that, right? Yeah, what's not, yeah, what's exactly. not to like? <laughs> right, Craig asks, uh, what was your favorite filming experience? Ooh, my favorite film experience, that's a damn good question. I'll probably say ADCC 2019. Yeah, that was a great one just because the atmosphere there you know the um, yeah the audience you know it was uh yeah that was a good one i really enjoyed that weekend and there was incredible matches yeah, as well it, it was uh if i can remember off the top of my head i, lo I love watching that one 
I think that was one of the first ones I watched all the way through as well. Yes, yeah. And in terms of films, like um, filmmaking, probably like Film with Braulio, actually, because me and him travelled together. I'm actually releasing a video with him soon. Uh, just when I come back to England, there's a bit, a little bit more interview footage I need with him. Uh, he's going to tell a really cool story from his him winning 2009 um, all the way up to uh, 2013. After 2009... He got double gold and then he um, he injured his neck. He got a b- very bad neck injury where he was actually paralyzed for six minutes of um, doing a single leg takedown where he spiked himself on his head. I have the video footage as well. It's hard to watch. It's really hard to watch. So it's about his recovery, his neck surgery, and then he came back in 2011 to beat Jacare to become the super fight champion of ADCC. So it's an incredible story where he pretty much was his career was over. His doctor said, you'll never do jiu-jitsu again. But he has such a strong mind. But just traveling with Braulio, you know, uh, around like Recife, Brazil, and like uh, Miami, Florida, at Boca Raton, Florida, went to the Black Zillions. We just had great times, you know. So filming, traveling and filming with him, that was, that, actually, that's the best. You know, that, he's a, he's a good, good person to go out, uh, go traveling with and party Yeah, he with. seems like a really good character. I'd love to have a little... Uh, he is. He's a, he's, a, he's a good person. I'd love to have a little chat with him, maybe one day. Yeah, you should, yeah. Uh, so the next one's from Ronnie, and he asks, would you prefer to roll with the smelly gee guy or the guy that's got nails that would fillet a fish? Oof. Smelly gee guy. Yeah, no one wants <laughs> those lacerations around the face and the neck, do they? No, no, no. <laughs> okay, Tanya asks, have you ever thought of doing a film on jujitsu red belts? Uh, <laughs> I actually haven't because there was someone else that was supposed to do that, but it never got made. You know about that one, right? Mm, is this an offline conversation? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about the guy, but, uh, um, you know, because he's done a lot for the sport over the years. But um, I think it was in 2012, Hal Teague from BJJ Hacks at the time. He now works with Flow Grappling. He actually saved up a bunch of money uh, uh, on Indiegogo to make a red belts documentary, but I'm not sure. I really don't know what happened with that. I really don't know, but he was, I'm not, I think he said he's still going to make it. So there's actually, I think he's still going to make a red belts documentary. I don't know. Maybe I should, maybe he's too busy. Maybe I should ask him if he wants just, to just do a bit of a collaboration <laughs> with him. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a collaboration before. Yeah. So, but yeah, he got a lot of stick for that, but, I don't know what, what, what happened. I really don't know. But uh, he has done a lot for the judicial community. But, yeah. I don't know. I think if, you, if you're trying to tie lots of different red belts into it, maybe there's some form of politics we were talking about earlier that, that might tie into that too a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a deep one, that. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a deep one, yeah. <laughs> okay, and the last one from Simon, and he asks, do you like salad? Yes, I do, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was a random it one. Is. Stuart Cooper, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast and thanks for spinning some of them stories, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Beautiful. Cheers, mate. And that's it. If you like the podcast, like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider and also follow us on Instagram. Cheers. Cheers.